0: Okay, so we're reading Psalm 108 this morning. Just give you a second to find that in your Bibles or your device. I'll read in a second. Psalm 108. A song, a psalm of David. My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those who you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbasin. On Edom, I toss my sandal over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our with our armies give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless with god we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies this is the word of the lord
1: morning everyone in case we haven't met, my name's Ben, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Henlican. It's always a, pl- a pleasure and a delight to open the word of the Lord to us, uh, as I do so now for the last time in 2023. Uh, purely out of curiosity, uh, who can say the next line? Through our God we shall do valiantly. Everyone? A few of you, yeah, I figured that would be about it, right? This is a psalm it comes from. Anyway, please keep your uh, Bibles open at Psalm 108. Yeah, stop singing. I'll lead us in prayer and we'll get stuck into it together. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you speak to us through your word and we pray that you would do so powerfully for us this morning by the power of your spirit that's at work within and amongst us uh, to make us more like our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. If you hang around Christian circles for long enough, sometimes not very long at all, uh, there's a good chance you'll come across the term Maranatha. Put up your hand if you've ever heard the word Maranatha before. It's one of those things that, see, I'm a fan of this guitar YouTube channel, uh, which has stuff that says, uh, there's a guy that presents on stuff that you may have heard, but you actually have no idea about what it means, and you're too shy to ask anyone right now sometimes christian terms can sort of be like that everyone maranatha of course i know what that means but there's always some people that go i don't really know all right i'm going to put you out of misery uh it's an aramaic term that that literally translates oh lord come and when christians use it we mean jesus return come lord jesus maranatha now uh, for christians it is a right thing to pray and we're free to pray it as we see fit and we ought to. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, people will pray Marin, Arthur, please Jesus return uh, because of terrible circumstances or even circumstances that aren't so terrible we think they are. Uh, my classic example is many 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 years ago when I was very young as a Christian I had a girlfriend who decided she liked another guy better than me and she You know, on New Year's Eve of all things, shacked up with some other guy. And the turmoil was so horrendous, I remember Jesus just come back. Surely this is a good enough reason, right, for for him to return, right? Right. But of course, there are far more serious examples uh, that uh, as Christians we hear about, world tragedies, wars, natural disasters, uh, personal things that affect people very greatly, uh, sickness, terminal illness in the family, debilitating anxiety over serious suffering and and, and difficulty. There are all sorts of things uh, that rightly get us into the, the, the headspace where we're thinking, gee, I wish Jesus would Maranatha. There's actually a good chance that some people in this room will seriously pray Maranatha in the year 2024. That it is right and sensible for Christians to pray Maranatha is something I'm going to assume most of us, if not all of us, are on board with. We want Jesus to return and we gladly say, come Lord Jesus. But our Father, in his word, occasionally sees fit to remind us of the rightness of the importance of and the specific reasons for praying, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And Psalm 108 is one such occasion. You'll see the title there, which a lot of our translations have as verse 0, that it's a psalm of King David. Now, it is a psalm of King David regarding its content, but not regarding its shape. What on earth do I mean by that? Let me explain. Psalm 108 is written by David. It's all David's words. However, it is a combination of two parts of two earlier Davidic psalms that a compiler has put together. He's taken part of one David psalm, part of another David's psalm, and put them together back to back. Both parts emphasize that Yahweh, God, the Lord, Yahweh, is the God who we should expect to bring salvation, the God we should expect to to clean up the mess, if you like, but for different reasons. We should expect Yahweh to bring salvation on account of who he is, his character. And from a different psalm, we should expect Yahweh to bring about salvation because of what he has spoken, what he has said. And there are some very convincing reasons to assume that the compiler has put these two bits of Davidic psalms to make a new one, centuries after the time of King David, probably to assure the people of Israel, the southern tribes of Israel, of God's goodness to them during the time of their exile, their captivity in Babylon. Uh, You can ask me about that later. It's a bit theologically nerdy stuff, but there's a pretty good reason to assume this is the case. It's as if the compiler has put these words of David together to say, even though you Israelites, you people of of Judah, are, are away from the dwelling place of God, it still remains true that because of who God is and because of what God has said, that you should expect him to show up to release you from captivity, and to bring you back into his presence in the promised land. Basically, guys, things suck, but you're right to expect God to personally do something about it. But don't just take my word for it. Let's go through both halves of the psalm together briefly, and then after that, see how it is that in Christ, this same psalm encourages us to live in light of God's imminent return And final salvation. Point one on your outline if you're a note taker. God will show up to rescue his people. Why? Because that's the kind of God He is, because of who He is, His character. David begins the Psalm saying, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I'm really resolved to do something. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. David saying, God. I'm really looking forward to to praising you with music and and, and instruments in song. Normally, the dawn is what wakes me up. Back in the day, David didn't have an alarm clock. They weren't invented yet. So when the sun comes up, that's when you wake up. But David's expressing eagerness. No, 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 man, I'm so keen. I'll wake the dawn up instead, right? I'm raring to go to to, to praise God uh, with with my instruments, uh, which makes you... Thankful that he's got a harp and a lyre as opposed to, say, bagpipes and a drum kit or whatever it is, right? But this isn't the regular musical praise that God's people would have sang about, uh, to, to, sang about God to one another. This is something bigger. Verse 3, I will praise you, Lord, not just in the assembly or not just in your temple, which we might expect. No, I will praise you, Yahweh, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, that is the Gentiles, the, the, the non-Israelites, the rest of the world. For what reason should David's God be advertised, through, through praise about him, to, to all the other nations? Well, unlike all the false gods who seem to serve their own interests and change their mind one day to the next, Yahweh, the true God of heaven and earth, is steadfast in his love and faithfulness. He's unchanging in his love and his faithfulness. That's the reason that David wants to praise the Lord to all the nations. Verse 4, for, because, great is your love. Higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Pop quiz for anyone who was at our weekend away earlier this year. Who knows the words that Mr. Lionel Windsor taught us for love and faithfulness. It was nerdy yeah, I know you know, and you know. You remember? <laughs> Chesed is one. Yes, that's a love. Emet. Yeah, very good. Uh, come to our weekends away, or our big day in 2024. Uh, there are two things that always go hand together, hand to hand together with God: His love and faithfulness, His steadfast love, and His faithfulness. Chesed and Emet. Anyway, but sadly, the reason the psalmist can't yet wake up the dawn. And praise Yahweh among the nations is because God has not yet made it obvious that He is faithful and loving. He hasn't yet fixed up the mess that His own people are in. And so, verse 5, the psalm becomes a petition Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that is your your power, that those you love may be delivered. Basically, God, act in accordance with your love and faithfulness, with what we know about you. Do something to get us out of this mess that we're in so that the world will see who you really are. I wouldn't be surprised if there's Christians in the room who have felt like this at some point. Because you choose to live in obedience to Christ, you've made decisions that your non-Christian friends and family, frankly, think are stupid. You might even get ridiculed every now and then. Perhaps the way you've responded Christianly to hardship and suffering means that our world looks at you like you've lost the plot. You want to scream out, God, do something to, to make them see And it is lovely that in his word, our Heavenly Father gives us words with which we're encouraged to express such frustration. So much so that we get the same point that we've just had, like I said, a second time, though now from a different angle uh, in the second half of this Psalm, point two. The compiler now adds in words of David to show us that we should expect God to act and to save, not only because of who he is, but now also because of what he has said. Verse 7, God has spoken from his sanctuary, quote, In triumph I will parcel out Shechem and measure measure off the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I toss my sandal, over Philistia I shout in triumph, Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me? Edom. In other words, God's saying, I'm a great warrior. The cities of the promised land, the cities of the Israelites, they're mine. They're the ones I look after. They're my people. They're my helmet and my scepter, right? They're the ones that I'm going to make sure I find. The cities of those, however, who persecute my people, like, like the Moabites and the Edomites, they're the ones I'm going to use like my wash basin, you know, like put my spit in there. They're the ones I'm going to chuck my shoes on, right? They're, they're the ones I'm going to measure out, right? My people, I'm with them. The people who are against my people, they're going to get mushed. Just like David was itching to praise God, God now speaks as a warrior who's itching to go and do the thing that David would praise him for. God's saying at the end, you know, where it says... um, uh, uh, who will bring me to the fortified city? It's like he's saying, let me at him. Who's going to lead me into this? Place? Point me the way and I'm going to smash him down, right? God, God's raring to go. And so you've got this wonderful picture. David's raring to praise God for his salvation and God is itching to deliver that salvation. Which, of course, all leads to a very burning and very obvious question that the psalm is pushing us towards. David wants God to save. God wants God to save. So why on earth is it not happening yet? And so we come to the penultimate, the almost ultimate part of this song where we see that great tension expressed. Verse 11, is it not you, God? You have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy human help is worthless. It's a way of saying, God, this is all on you. We can't fix the mess. We can't save ourselves. Human help, useless. We want you to act. And by your character and your word, you want you to act. So why are we still rejected? If I was tasked with uh, writing music to this... Uh, I'd have to write some really dissonant chords or really, you know, suspenseful music at this part. The big emotion here is frustration and to a lesser extent, probably a combination of sadness and anger. Now, just for a minute here, I'm going to risk getting too big for my boots by being a prophet. Prophet Ben is here today. This isn't being recorded, is it? Ignore that. This is just tongue-in-cheek, all right? I predict that this kind of frustration, this flavour of frustration, will happen for many of us, probably in this room, at some point in our Christian lives, possibly in the year 2024 AD. Most of us will endure significant suffering and hardship at some point in our lives if we haven't already. Some of our number are in the thick of really difficult situations right now. God's character makes it obvious that he wants to clean up the mess. He's itching to fix it. God's word makes it obvious that he wants to clean up the mess. He's itching to fix it. We either have or will find ourselves wanting God to clean up the mess. And so we suffer with the dreadful frustration that he's not doing something about it. But and this is a very big but, if you've started to drift off, come back in, this is really important, the same logic that brings frustration to the people of God, also at one and the same time has a second and equally obvious outcome. You see, because God is supremely loving and faithful, and because God's word is always true, has to be the case it simply must be the case that if God hasn't acted well therefore he will sooner or later act to save his people hence the final verse the ultimate conclusion to which the frustration in the psalm is pointing us verse 13 with God we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies and those who know the song you know that's, that's why it's a good title for the song because that's, a, that's the, the, the key point of the psalm, really. With God, we will gain the victory. He will trample down our enemies. There will be salvation. There will be vindication. There will be a tremendous satisfaction for those God loves. And if the Israelites in exile can know this on the basis of God's character and his word, well, then we, the church, are on even more sure Footing. Because we know that God has already begun the process, if you like, of doing the cosmic cleanup. He's doing that, of course, through the personal work of the greatest Davidic king, namely Jesus. In our case, God has actually begun that operation, mess cleanup, if you like. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that in Jesus we have the fullest and final expression of the character of of God he is the image of the invisible God we read in Colossians 1 verse 15 and in Jesus we have the fullest and final revelation of God for Jesus is himself the word of God the word who became flesh and basically as Christians we were celebrating that what one week ago right remember at Christmas the one big thing The one big ticket item that stands behind any and every bit of mess in this universe is, of course, sin. And I'm not sorry, but I am sad to say that that includes your sin and mine. All of us personally have contributed to the mess that we want God to fix up. By his willing sacrifice, Yahweh, the Lord, in the person of his son, Jesus, has disarmed that enemy. He has conquered the sting of death. He has conquered the power of the devil. And the only reason he's holding off, giving the final victory, which he's itching to give, is that in his steadfast love and faithfulness, he's allowing more time for more people from all nations to become his worshippers. You and I are right to join David in awaking the dawn and singing praises of Yahweh to people of all nations, basically advertising God to the rest of the world in order that they too might come in and suffer with us in the sure hope of future glory, in order that more people would come along and join those who cry Maranatha. Perhaps one of the most important reasons we pray Maranatha is because we know the day will come and it will most certainly be answered in the, fir- the affirmative. There's all sorts of things I can pray and not have a certainty of an affirmative answer but this one I can. I know that he will come. With our God we will gain the victory for he's already trampled down our enemies and perhaps it will happen in the year 2024 AD. Perhaps. Quickly, by way of implication, it makes sense that if you're one of those who hasn't yet heard the awakening of the dawn praise that Yahweh is indeed faithful and steadfast, if you haven't yet recognised that his character and his word are given to us fully in the person and work of the Lord Jesus, well, then you need to get ready for the reality that he will come. And the way to do that is to turn to him in repentance and faith. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, not me. I'm a sinner who's made the mess that you're going to clean up real soon. Thank you that Jesus died to pay for my sin. Thank you that you raised him to show that he really is the Lord who can grant new life. I want to live for him from now on in. That's called becoming a Christian. I did that when I was 19 years old and uh, it didn't prevent any suffering. As a matter of fact, in some ways it gave me more, but I'm so thankful that I can see the world as it truly is, I'm so thankful that I know that tremendous satisfaction and vindication await. so much so that I even feel that satisfaction now, I live with actual joy, not necessarily happiness, but joy. And I know that I can cry to my Heavenly Father, Maranatha, because it will be the case, be it tonight, be it in a thousand years, I don't know, but it will be the case uh, that I will be with him in his presence for eternity. If you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, do it this year. For those who do, which I assume is most, if not all of us, there's this fantastic little expression in the book uh, written by the, the Apostle Peter um, That's that That We we say, speed the coming of the Lord. And it's an expression to say, live in light of this certain reality. Uh, It means that because we know where things are heading, we don't have to guess how we're to live our lives. If it is the case that all the world will see that Yahweh is right to be praised that David's song to all the nations is a right song, that Yahweh is full of steadfast love. Well, given that they're all going to see that, how we to live? well, we're to live in such a way that shows we rely on his steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, we live holy lives, lives set apart to him. Uh, here's a better way of putting it, because it's right out of the Bible. 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and following, he writes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief... The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. This is all going to happen. With God, we will gain the victory. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? And this is you and me in the church. You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God, and here's the expression, speed its coming. Now, I don't think this means that if Christians are all extra holy this year, that the date of Jesus' return is pushed sooner, right? Although I do know of people that actually hold that view. I'm ambivalent. I don't really care one way or the other. Jesus already knows when he's going to return. That's not the point. The idea is that you live in light of the reality of the return of Jesus. And uh, whilst I think New Year's resolutions suck... This one is a notable exception. It's the word of God. You ought to be thinking, well, gee, how can I live a holy and godly life in light of the facts that Maranatha is going to take place? Here's a pretty good idea. The year 2024 is uh, one day away. There will be growth groups that happen in our church community throughout that year. Uh, I'm going to uh, uh, put some cards on the table. Most pastors recognise that uh, if someone's going to leave their fellowship, there's a high chance that they're not in a growth group. If someone leaves our fellowship, there's a high chance, in other words, you put it the other way, if you're not in a growth group, there's a high chance you'll leave our fellowship. Growth groups are really important. You might have uh, uh, children or or young people. Uh, We run, in partnership with parents who are the primary disciples of their children, a fantastic kids club we call it thrive on Friday afternoon and having that as part of the regular lives of kids means that well they do that and they go through youth group well then of course they'll join a growth group it'll just occur to them naturally that Christian growth happens in community with a church family and if you prioritize it there's a greater likelihood that they will if you do not prioritize it there is a great likelihood that they will not thrive Grace Youth, they'll both kick off. We'll actually have it in about three weeks from now. We're going to have a special day where we talk about all the way that our church kind of functions to see young people brought up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. Pay attention on that day. Also, there's a big day in for our church in 2024. The dates are in your newsletter. It's a big day in. It's kind of like um, uh, a weekend away, but instead of being an overnight, it's just going to be like shorter, like on a day, right? People who are at our weekend away this year could tell me two Hebrew words when I asked them mid-sermon, right? That's pretty cool. Well, put that in your diary now, so I'm going to hang out with my church family under the word of God. That's a really helpful way, just structuring stuff that's going to say, I'm going to keep getting pushed to live a holy and godly life. You see, it's right to cry out Maranatha, but it makes more sense when those who are crying out have their lives shaped by the expectation that it will one day soon be answered. There's a New Year's resolution. Let me conclude in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of those who are your people. We thank you that on the basis of your character and of your promised word, that he will return, that all things will be set right, that those who remain opposed to you will face destruction, that those who are your people will be vindicated and will have a blissful eternity uh, with you in heaven. Help us so shape our lives uh, in light of his return. Help us be like those who are itching to sing the praises of Yahweh just as King David was. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.